Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Jennifer Wilson. Hello, Jim. JJ, it's so good to see Thank you. Thank you. You too. And uh, you've made some big change-ups in your life I since have. I saw you last. I, I mean, have. just in the last few weeks, your family's relocating from one state to another. That's right. We are. And we're all together as people, but all of our things are somewhere else. So. <laughs> but you're learning to live in the moment. We are. Every day's a gift. That's right. Every day is a gift. And we take so much for granted. So good to have you with Thank us on you. Viewpoint today. And today... You and I are in the company of someone who understands every day is a gift, yes. and she is on a big adventure herself. Oh, my goodness. And when you talk about being separated from your things, <laughs> about being separated from everyone you've ever known. Everything you've ever known. Because she is, for the first time, visiting the United States from her home country in India. And her story about life in India and what she does there will inspire and stretch you for the good. Stay with us. We are so thankful to have with us as our guest on Viewpoint today, Neha Sahu. And she comes to us from a city in India called Katak. Neha, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And Neha, this is your first visit to the United States, is that right? Yes. And the first time leaving India. Yes. Of course, India itself is a vast world unto itself. Many people who have not been to India do not realize how complex and diverse the mm. subcontinent is. Yes. But still, it's an adventure to leave the subcontinent and to come to a whole other culture yes. across the oceans. Yeah. And uh, you've been in the country a few days now. Yeah. What would you say is your first impression? Or what has stood out? What amazes you or impresses you the most about your first visit to the United States? The amazing thing I have ever uh, I'm going about to see is here, like the drive-in through restaurant, and we have you people have a drive-in through, like the ATM machines where people just get and get their money. So it's so amazing to see the you can advanced to technology. A world on wheels. People get in their car. Yeah. Don't even get out of their car. They get money. They get food. Whatever mm-hmm. they need. Yeah. Yes, it is a little bit. Uh, startling when you come from a culture where people mm. don't necessarily even drive in cars, drive in let alone cars. have a drive-up window yeah. for things. <laughs> I can understand that. You talk to a box, you pull up to a window, they hand you food. It's amazing. I, yeah. I know. Neha, we are so thrilled you're here. And uh, as you have landed in this country, we want to learn a little bit more about your home, oh Katak. Now, Katak is in what Indian state? It is in Orissa state. And uh, Katak used to be the capital of that state, but yes. some years ago that was moved to an adjacent city. Yeah. Uh, but Katak is still a major city. How mm-hmm. many people do you think live there? Around 15 lakhs people. 15 lakhs. Now a lakh right. is a 100,000. Yeah. So 15 lakhs would be one and a half million people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a very big place. Have yes. you always lived there? Yeah. I have been born and brought up there. And may I be so bold as to ask, how old are you now? I'm 27. 27. Oh, to be young again. Yeah. And uh, growing up in a Katak, I'm going to guess that English is not your first language because no. English is spoken widely in India from the mm-hmm. British period. Yes. But what would be your first language? My first language is Oriya. Oriya. Yes. And uh, that is an original language spoken by tens of millions of mm-hmm. people in India. Yes. And we want to just acknowledge that we here at CBH Viewpoint have a sister broadcast in the Oriya language yeah. that is produced in Katak. Yes. And uh, it is heard throughout that part of the world in the Oriya language. And this is not a translation of our broadcast. It's an original production mm-hmm. made mm-hmm. Uh, by Indians mm-hmm. in Katak. Katak. And we are so thrilled uh, to have that connection. Mm-hmm. Now, in Katak, tell us a little bit about life there. Would you say that people are living well? 
Are there big disparities between the rich and the poor? Is there a middle class? How would you describe it? It is not a place of rich people, but you can say a middle class and lower class. And the majority is the lower class. So it's kind of richness and poverty, side by which go side by side. So when you say middle class and lower class, mm-hmm. what would be some of the striking differences? Homes, the type of homes, jobs? The education status. Okay. Like they goes up to, like they go still master degree mm-hmm. and the lower class people, they only stay till elementary school okay. period. That yeah. makes a big difference. Yes. And that has a lot of outcomes economically then yes. too. Yes, yeah. And uh, as you describe it, we all know that India is a nation in in a state of transformation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has had radical change in the last 20 years, especially mm-hmm. economically, uh, where there has been this ascendant middle class rising up, mm-hmm. as well as those still struggling with this huge underclass of people who mm-hmm. economically are disadvantaged. And so I have been to Katak. I know something of what you speak. And And uh, there are many people there who are desperately poor. Yes. And uh, the social service infrastructure, the capacity Mm. of the society to care for those who Mm. uh, may be in desperate need is still, we might say, underdeveloped. Yeah. And so there's huge need there. Mm. And that's going to bring us to what you do professionally Mm -hmm. in that city called Katak. Our guest today is Neha Sahu. She is a 27-year-old woman from Katak in India. She's in the United States for her first visit. And uh, before we ask you about what you do there in that city of one and a half million people, uh, kind of in the central east coast of India, what's one of the best things about living there? What do you love most about calling Katak home? It's a city of many uh, culture. It, like, it's been a capital for of my states for around 300 years old so we have many cultures and the food there is so good (laughs) and we have our indian ocean around there so it's so good so it's beautiful fabulous food it's a tropical climate a diverse culture Mm -hmm. it's a great place to live but in that place Mm -hmm. there are people in desperate need and so tell us a little bit about that who are the people that you have been drawn to because I know that you're working day by day in your professional life to help a certain group of people. How would you describe them? India, we have a good, like, the number of disability is increasing because we don't have the health system that much reachable to people. So we have neglected number of disability more. And the work that I do, uh, we work for disability called club food, that is twisted feet from their birth. And people don't have the awareness or maybe knowledge that it can be curable. So they stayed back thinking it's a polio. So they never go to doctors to show them the, uh, the child that if it could be curable. But we are spreading an awareness that come to us and it is curable and it could be. So the number of disability could come down and children started will go to schools. They can have the facilities. It's a world where the accommodation of those who are physically challenged is not well developed. And so mm-hmm. in many yes. Western countries, there are elevators and, yeah. and ramps and things mm-hmm. that allow mm-hmm. people who may be physically challenged to get about. But that's not true in no. India. No. And so 
it magnifies the yeah. challenge and mm -hmm. the difficulty of someone who may have a physical disability. And mm -hmm. I'm hearing you say that because the health infrastructure is not uh, available to everyone, mm -hmm. some things that in other places of the world might be addressed early on aren't. Mm -hmm. And there are children who have a club foot, which could be remedied if it was tackled early on. Uh, but because it's not, then there's all kinds of, uh, not just economic consequence, but so probably some it. social ostracism too. And yes. what you're doing is helping to spread the word that yeah. people who have children with feet that are born feet? inward, mm -hmm. that there is hope. You can get help. It's mm -hmm. not polio, which they fear, mm -hmm. and it's not some other malady that has no remedy. Mm -hmm. No, this is something we can actually help with. And part of the job is just getting people to think of that. Yes. And how do you do that? We provide counseling to the parents. We work with public doctors because mostly this club food happens to pure, pure family class. The, the people and, are poor. Yes. And they, to, for, for them to go to a private clinic, it's difficult. And mostly all private doctors, they practice this treatment. But we, we work with public hospitals so the poor people could come, to, f come there. And also we work with government Department of Health and Women and Child Health Department, which helped the doctors to work with us. And because it's a long scenario of treatment, sometimes parents stop coming to us because four years coming repeatedly for them, it's not easy. And it's very inconvenient. They don't have cars yeah. and there's not yes. good public transportation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so on. Like they have to spend on travel and for the day that they will be at the hospital, they have also the food requirement so it's need a lot of money and by this time government is quite helpful for us because they have started giving the travel fare to the parents helping to uh, subsidize yes the transportation and, uh, yeah, and we are as an organization we provide the treatment fare and government is pro giving the travel fare do you have any idea why this particular phenomenon of, of a club foot is prevalent in the poor mostly. Is there any theory about why it would uh, be a challenge in that community differently than those who might have more means? There is no reason behind clubfoot, so we cannot prevent it before the child is born. But the reason for polio is known, so we are preventing it. Yes. But we don't know the prevention for clubfoot, so once it happened, we know the treatment is available. Right. So, and so there's no way to intercept it before no, it happens, but no. once it's identified, yeah. there we is a hope. We can provide that treatment. And, and for the economically disadvantaged in India mm. generally, yes. they wouldn't think to ask for help because they don't mm. think there is help. Yeah. And you're on the front line yes. helping I, them. I really and, do think that word hope is what's sticking yes, out to me, yeah, that you yes. are shining a light and saying, over here, yeah, over here, yeah. there's like hope. Like some parents are there because... The organization in Odisha that I'm working with, it's a, it's been three years in my state. So sometime I ask the parents to write me a thank you note so I could send that to the international office. And I have many notes where they have written like cure is a lighthouse for us, which Aww. shows the light from afar. Yes. So it's it's so overwhelmed when I read all those letters from them. Mm -hmm. So and, yes, it's hope. And once a child has this remedied, mm -hmm. and the feet are straightened in a way that they can walk normally and be out and about, mm -hmm. my guess is that's 
truly transformational yeah. in the trajectory of their lives yeah. because their their capacity then to go forward not just in relationships with their community but to be productive in a labor force yes. is hugely increased yeah that's why we tell healing changes everything healing so, changes yeah. so we that's just is we just heal the food but we also give them confidence we also give yes. them hope we give the support to the parents like more than the child know what he went through but the parents know what they have been through mm-hmm. in all this yes. treatment phase
Our guest today, Neha Sahu from Katak, India. She has given her life to help children who are born with club feet. Now, it's not something we see so much uh, in the developed part of the world these days, but in the underdeveloped parts of the world, like in the city of Katak, where she calls home, people who are economically disadvantaged do not realize that there are remedies. There is medical treatment that can actually uh, straighten out those feet and give the children a normal life and not be physically challenged over a lifetime. She's given her life to this work, and we've learned a little bit about how uh, transformational that can be, not just physically, but in your soul and spirit, as you think about how a person has confidence, being able to stand up tall and walk about. My question for you, Neha, is why? Why have you been drawn into this? What's happened in your own life, your own heart, your own frame of reference that suggested to you Instead of making a lot of money in another profession, because you could do that, uh, instead of settling down in a different way, why have you landed here? As a child, I always wished to work for children. And when I got this opportunity, it was like a blessing to me. And before working, I never knew about this deformity. But as I started working with this, it's kind of like I am touching people's life. Like I have getting to know many peoples and by that way I have been blessed and I have my life freely given. So somehow if I could be a part of like blessings to other people, I feel good. So You find it fulfilling? Yes, I feel fulfilling. And you have just used a phrase there, as you have freely received, you also mm -hmm. feel like you should freely give. give. And that's a familiar phrase to us mm -hmm. because it actually comes from the mouth of Jesus. Yes. It's in the scripture. JJ, do you have that passage uh, in Matthew's gospel where Jesus speaks of these things? Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. It's a very uh, inspiring passage. And Jesus, in that first instance, of course, is talking to his disciples, to those who are following him. He's giving them a charge, an assignment, a command. He's sent them out uh, to be a healing touch wherever they go. Yes. And he, he speaks to them in this way that... You have received freely. You did not earn my favor. You did not earn the gift of life yourself. The fact that you can walk about and go where you will under your own steam, that's not consequent to you, something you have done. It's a gift to you, freely given. And my life and my wisdom and my spirit is freely given to you. Mm -hmm. All of these things, he says to his followers, are gifts not earned, but given because of the graciousness of God. Mm -hmm. So therefore, he says, treat other people in the same way you As freely you like. give. And I'm hearing you, uh, Neha, say that that is your journey. That's, that's deep inside of you. You feel like you've been given things. Yes. How can I give back? Mm -hmm. How did you hear about Jesus? I was uh, born in a Christian family. And my dad worked as a manager in a Christian organization. And we as a family feel so blessed to be a part of that organization where children are raised, uh, mainly girls are being raised there. And it's so you grew up in an environment, yeah. in a home that understood the call of Jesus and yeah. the life of Christ, mm -hmm. and you have embraced that for yourself. Yes. And if someone was listening to us today, and they're thinking they have a problem, 
maybe they have a physical disability or maybe they have a challenge of a different kind. Their family is unhealthy or maybe their job is uh, under duress or stress. Mm -hmm. And they're just trying to figure out, is there any hope? Is there anything I can do? Should I just give up? What would you say to them? Uh, I would like to say uh, stories of my patient. Like a parents brought up their child to us for the treatment and the father started telling me they call me madam so they started telling me that madam our son has uh, been born with club foot so i have stopped praying to god they are hindu so i asked them why did you stopped praying to god it is nothing to do with like he didn't did this that the child is born so he said i have never done anything like i have a i haven't done anything wrong still my boy is born with that so i have stopped praying so back in my mind i got the remembrance of the stories of job when he was tested by satan his wife asked him to leave god because he is testing you but he still cling to god and that so like i thought that when we get a physical uh heart feeling or pain we take it to us as our soul and we blame that to god but only the physical pain is not that uh, we need to leave our god so like so we need to be strong like this is not the end if we got something physically illness or anything so i i try to make them understand that maybe god is trying to bring you more close to him like they said uh, people around them tell them that god is paying for your sin or maybe you are cursed so this is not that actually is and god never punish you i think god never punish you so we you're doing some hard work there, yeah. Neha. <laughs> That's some some beautifully hard theological yeah. work with yes. with people who mm. need a different understanding yeah. and image of mm. who God is yeah. and, and so to whom may, they're praying. Mm. We may have hard time in life, but God is always waiting for us out mm. there to comfort us. So we need to have our hope. It's really difficult to have hope when you have been going through difficult time but we need to have our hope so in a culture and a religious system where pain and deformities might be seen as punishment mm-hmm. from god or yes. or something uh, as a part of their the cycle of mm-hmm. of living um, you say to them i want you to know the god who gives hope in the midst of suffering yes. Who can bring healing yes. to mm. you? Yeah, and when some kind of difficult parents come in, that time we got that opportunity to pray for them. So uh, mm. we, mm. as a team, used to sit and ask. After asking to them, we pray because sometimes they don't like we to pray. So we first ask them for if we can pray for them, then we kind of pray and. They feel a little relaxed. Wherever you are in life today, whatever your journey, whatever your challenge, Mm. I'm going to suggest that it may not be any more towering Mm. than the challenges that people face on the streets of Katak in India. Mm. And sometimes those 
dear souls have fewer resources materially to embrace as they try and sort things out. Wherever you are in the world, know this, that there is one God of heaven and earth mm -hmm. who knows you, who has made you, and who has sent his son into this world as a way of redeeming you. And so we want to encourage you. And the same God who is at work calling Neha into her ministry to help children with club feet, that same God who can transform life and is a healing touch, that same God knows your name too. We want to encourage you to reach out to him. Whatever it is that is a challenge for you today, take it to God in prayer and see, just see what happens next. You can take a step with us right there into the doorway called hope and pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today that you know each of us by name. We thank you, Lord, that there is so much good that can be done and that we can be the beneficiaries of that good even as we give to others that good. Thank you for Neha's story today and for her witness of the transformational power of a healing touch. And we thank you for your call in her life. I pray for everyone who is hearing our voice now that we might each one surrender into your hands and that we might each lay before you our challenges and our difficulties and ask you to guide us to the places where we might find help or to intervene, Lord, to provide the help directly to us. But in any case, give us hope today, hope in Jesus' name. It is in the name of Jesus and because of his work on the cross and the power of his resurrection that we come before you now confidently in prayer. Amen. Amen. Now, if you'd like to know more about how you can be in right relationship with this God, our maker, this God of hope, this God of all comfort, the scripture says, if you'd like to know more about Jesus and how he can call into your life the very best, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're by the phone. We want to talk to you. JJ, if someone wanted to go online and touch base with us, how would they do so? You can find us at cbhviewpoint.org. You can read there about the Viewpoint Ministry. You can read about all the CBH language broadcasts. You can send us an email, and we will reply. Or at the last, if you prefer, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana 46018, USA. But whether you call us up, go online, or use the post, let us hear from you this week. Neha, we are so thankful you're with us today. Thanks for your work in Katak. Thank you. And we hope that you have a chance to visit as many drive-through <laughs> window boxes <laughs> as you can while you're here in the States. I will. <laughs> and JJ, so good to see you thank too. Thank you. And for all of you who are listening today, thank you for joining us. And we hope that you're encouraged that you can see your life a little more clearly now by Heaven's View. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.